the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. Tuesday, May 31st, 2022, the 496th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I want to start, as always, with a word about the great American patriot, Mike Lindell, and his great American manufacturing company, MyPillow. You can go to MyPillow.com right now, use the promo code reasonable, and receive up to 60% off items across the website. There are also a bunch of buy one, get one free offers. And when you order, you will receive a copy of Mike Lindell's book. So make everything more comfortable. Go to MyPillow.com, promo code reasonable. You will be supporting this show, Mike Lindell, and a great American manufacturing company. Also, I just want to thank everyone who has signed up for a paid subscription on the Substack or donated via Ko-Fi. You are honestly getting me to the point where I'm able to just focus on this work. And that is an honor, first of all, that the work is appreciated. And second, it's helping me do what I want to do. I want to continue doing this. And I actually want to be able to do a lot more of this. And so you all are helping a whole lot. A few dollars a month from a whole lot of people actually makes it possible to produce this work. And I'm one of those people that totally understands how we get so much content for free online that it feels unnatural in some sense to have to pay to access the content we want to access. But that's the only business model for people like me and for a lot of the other people who do this sort of work. It's not really possible without support from the audience. So a big thank you to everyone who recognizes the importance of supporting independent people as opposed to sending it to corporate media outlets with paywalls like the New York Times or the Washington Post. I am going to keep trying to figure out new ways to make the Substack subscription, whether it's five bucks or 10 bucks or whatever you want to donate, I want to try to make that worth it. And I'm always open to suggestions on how I can continue to do that. So let's get into the real stuff. There is some bad news today and we can recognize that. And then we can also place that bad news in its proper context, Recognizing that individual incidents, though they may not work out the way we want or the way we expect, might still be part of a larger whole, and it is that larger whole that we are aimed at. It's not each individual incident. And I'm talking, of course, about the verdict that came down today in the Michael Sussman trial being prosecuted by special counsel John Durham. Let's go to Technofog for his coverage. This is Technofog's Substack, the reactionary. The headline, Michael Sussman, has been acquitted. The acquittal is no surprise. This is a D.C. jury, after all. In the Roger Stone case, for example, we documented how a juror lied to get on the panel. That judge didn't care. Making matters worse, the Sussman judge wrongly allowed for a woman to remain on the jury, despite the fact that her daughter and Sussman's are on the same high school crew team. One can't help but think that juror had her own daughter's interests in mind, the cohesion of the crew team, 
when she reached a decision. On the facts, there was more than sufficient evidence to prove Sussman's guilt. Sussman lied to then FBI general counsel James Baker in order to get a meeting to pass the Alpha Bank hoax materials to the FBI. Sussman lied again during the meeting, stating he was not there on behalf of a client in order to get the FBI to open an investigation into the Trump organization's purported ties with Alpha Bank. Later, during testimony to Congress, Sussman admitted he met with Baker on behalf of a client. Billing records proved he had been working on the Alpha Bank project on behalf of the Clinton campaign. I won't say the verdict doesn't matter. Of course it matters. It would have proven that a D.C. jury can convict one of their own. It would have resulted in accountability for lying to the FBI. Not the gravest of crimes, but it is still a crime. In large part, the prosecution of Sussman was hamstrung by the FBI's investigation into the Alpha Bank allegations. That goes to materiality. How can the lies be material if the FBI's investigation was so sloppy? Answer, they were material because the lies helped open the investigation in the first place. On the issue of materiality, look to the testimony of FBI Special Agent Curtis Hyde, whose repeated requests to interview the source of the Alpha Bank information were denied by headquarters. FBI headquarters didn't want this thing thoroughly vetted, even though they demanded the investigation be opened. As we stated during the trial, relatively early on in the investigation, on September 26, 2016, Agent Hyde sent a message to Pientka requesting an interview of the source of the Alpha Bank white papers. By that time, Hyde knew the white paper was bunk. He received no response from Pienka. He repeated this request on October 3, 2016. Agent Hyde's requests were rebuffed by his liaison at FBI headquarters. And Pientka is FBI Special Agent Joe Pientka. That's not to say the public hasn't benefited from the trial. The information disclosed during the trial was important to understand the broader Clinton Fusion GPS Perkins Coie effort to poison the public, the press and the FBI with their Trump Russia lies. This included one. Data from the executive office of the president of the United States, including data from the Trump transition period, was exploited by Sussman and Rodney Jaffe and then passed to the CIA. Rodney Jaffe was a longtime confidential human source and generally a resource for the FBI. Jaffe worked with the FBI on cyber threats from countries like Russia. From former FBI agent Grasso, quote, I'm sure the work that Jaffe did touched on matters having to do with Russia, end quote. Jaffe went to great lengths to make sure the Alpha Bank information he provided to the FBI did not go through his official FBI handler. The decision to open the investigation came from FBI leadership. According to one FBI agent, quote, people on the seventh floor to include director are fired up about this server, end quote. Perkins Coie partner Mark Elias provided updates on the Fusion GPS research to the Clinton campaign. And Hillary Clinton herself approved of the strategy to disseminate the Alpha Bank allegations to the media per Robbie Mook. And that was her campaign manager at the time. Where does Durham go from here? That's the real question. We already know that the investigation into Rodney Jaffe remains open and that Igor Danchenko faces trial this year. Whether there is more remains to be seen. After the verdict was handed down, John Durham released this statement. While we are disappointed in the outcome, we respect the jury's decision and thank them for their service. I also want to recognize and thank the investigators and the prosecution team for their dedicated efforts in seeking truth and justice in this case. And that statement is about as milquetoast as they come. I don't know why anyone would have expected anything more from John Durham in this case. He does not ever seem to tip his hand, runs a pretty tight ship. Any expression of emotion or disappointment or anything like that would have been shocking, actually. So a statement like this is what you can expect. There is still the Igor Danchenko trial to happen in October, and Cash Patel, among others, have said many times they expect multiple indictments this summer. Now, of course, a lot of people are very disappointed. Everyone wants to see justice done. It is obvious from the evidence, it's blatantly obvious from the evidence, that 
Michael Sussman did, in fact, lie to the FBI. He said he wasn't representing a client. And by his own words, he was. Here's Jonathan Turley on Fox News. The problem for Durham is the jury and the judge. I mean, he is facing a jury that has three Clinton donors, an AOC donor, and a woman whose daughter is on the same sports team with Sussman's daughter. I mean, the exception of randomly selecting people out of the DNC headquarters, you could not come up with a worse jury. Welcome to Washington, D.C. Right. All right. Uh, Jonathan Turley, as always, thank you. Thank you. We're following all. Now, Jonathan Turley certainly is no MAGA conservative. And yes, he's on Fox News saying this. But that's not some right wing perspective. Jonathan Turley used to be a weekly, if not daily guest on the Randy Rhodes show and Rachel Maddow. He's been a liberal darling at different times in his career. So that's not some crazy biased perspective. He's telling you that was what John Durham was up against in getting a conviction in this trial. Just human on Telegram, Kyle, who has been following all Durham stuff night and day, he reacted this way. I've said for the past week or so that I think Durham's number one objective was piercing attorney client privilege. Second was getting the evidence and testimony on the record. Third was convicting Sussman. It's a bummer he didn't get the guilty verdict. It's absolutely critical that he got the first two objectives, though. And I think that he has a very valid point there. And I think that while a lot of people might say this is just, quote unquote, cope, right? This is excuse making after not getting the desired outcome. And that's not a wholly invalid perspective. I mean, this could be a portent of bad things to come. But it's not necessarily that. And the people who are out there claiming that this is the end of Durham or Durham has failed or the whole Durham thing has blown up, that doesn't strike me as true either. In fact, with the Danchenko trial to come in the fall, I don't even understand how that makes sense. I also want people to consider something that Cash Patel said in an interview last week, and I cannot unfortunately remember which show he said it on. But whoever was interviewing him asked about Hillary Clinton being indicted. When is that going to happen? And Cash said it would actually be really difficult to directly indict Hillary Clinton. But she's part of a joint venture conspiracy. And I've remarked on this podcast before, I think certainly I've posted about it on Telegram or Truth Social. But the joint venture conspiracy is the point. That is where you actually get to the top people. And what I took from Cash's remarks is that the proof of that joint venture conspiracy is what is ultimately going to bring accountability for everyone involved in the conspiracy. And with that in mind, I'm inclined to believe that there's still a lot to play out. In the past couple of years, we have learned nothing if our reaction to the slightest bit of bad or disappointing news is to think nothing can be done, everybody's screwed, the game is over. The game is decidedly not over. And we've had countless stories that were worse news than this, more disappointing news than this. What matters is the long game. What matters is the final outcome. What matters is the awakening. And it is entirely possible. We'll see, right? We'll see. I'm not trying to just make excuses, but it's entirely possible that this verdict will ultimately help the awakening that is required. No one is denying that we have deep systemic problems throughout every branch of our government and every institution in our country. The political parties, corporations, big tech, the media, the universities, the public health sector, none of that gets cured immediately. And had Sussman been found guilty today, maybe some people who watch the mainstream media would have woken up and said, oh, wow, there really is something there in the Clinton thing. But they're already not paying attention to be surprised about that or convinced of that by a guilty verdict. Kevin Kleinsmith was found guilty and 
No one even paid attention to that. He was let off with a slap on the wrist. None of the jury verdicts change the underlying facts. The underlying facts are clear and they became more clear throughout this trial. I'm in this for the long haul and always have been. And the thing that always stuns me about the black pillars and people who think everything is falling apart when we receive news like this is what choice are you going to make? Do you just give up on everything? If you give up on everything, then honestly, what's the point? Like, what are you just going to go out and try to make as much money as you can and live Hunter Biden's lifestyle? Of course not, because then you would just be defeating whatever motivation you had to make it this far in the first place. There is only one possible outcome, and that outcome is the awakening happens and we win. The awakening is already unstoppable. People aren't going to just go back to sleep and pretend everything's fine. People are not going to leave that world to their children and their children's children. The point is not to accept false hope. The point is to find the resolve to understand that regardless of the verdict today, the job was not going to be finished and pushing forward is the only direction to go. Donald Trump released his own statement or maybe just a reaction on Truth Social. Our legal system is corrupt. Our judges and justices, that's a reference to the Supreme Court, are highly partisan, compromised, or just plain scared. Our borders are open. Our elections are rigged. Inflation is rampant. Gas prices and food costs are through the roof. Our military, quote unquote, leadership is woke. Our country is going to hell. And Michael Sussman is not guilty. How's everything else doing? Enjoy your day. And you can take that in whatever way you choose. I see it as Trump trying to inject some humor and also saying like this should not deter you from remaining positive about everything that's happening. And with that said, let's get to some more positive stuff and discuss election fraud. Over the weekend, CNN and Washington Post both published pieces about how it turns out the Dominion voting systems are extremely vulnerable. And it should surprise no one that they released this on a Saturday during a holiday weekend where all news was already going to be buried by coverage of the Uvalde shooting. This is the Washington Post headline. No evidence of exploitation of Dominion voting machine flaws. CISA finds. So that's how they're framing the story. There's no evidence of exploitation. That's what CISA has found. Despite the flaws, there's no evidence of exploitation. So you're supposed to look at this headline and say, Oh, yeah, well, everybody knows the machines are kind of messed up. The important thing, though, is that there was absolutely no voter fraud and Joe Biden really got 81 million real legal American votes. The federal government has found no evidence that flaws in Dominion voting machines have ever been exploited, including in the 2020 election, according to the executive director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Now. The director was not the same person that it was during the November 3rd, 2020 election. That was Chris Krebs. And Chris Krebs is the guy who told us that it was the safest and most secure election of all time from a cybersecurity standpoint. And of course, people took that statement about cybersecurity and used it as a solid review of the entire election process. The statement was not that. Of course, the media used it that way. They repeated the quote out of context over and over and over again. And now Joe Biden voters think that this was the safest and most secure election of all time, even though there was no result on election night. The result came days later. The counting lasted for weeks. All of the winning states were decided in the middle of the night with mathematically impossible ballot dumps 
But yes, safest and most secure election of all time. CISA, an arm of the Department of Homeland Security, has notified election officials in more than a dozen states that use the machines of several vulnerabilities and mitigation measures that would aid in detection or prevention of an attempt to exploit those vulnerabilities. The move marks the first time CISA has run voting machine flaws through its vulnerability disclosure program, which since 2019 has examined and disclosed hundreds of vulnerabilities in commercial and industrial systems that have been identified by researchers around the world. The program is aimed at helping companies and consumers better secure devices from breaches. So they've been studying cybersecurity vulnerabilities for three years And this is the first time that they used their system, their vulnerability disclosure program to study election machines. But don't worry, they're certain that in 2020, it was the safest and most secure election of all time. The security of Dominion voting machines has become a flashpoint in the fraught politics of the 2020 election, with supporters of former President Donald Trump claiming that the results were tainted by machines that were manipulated while election officials, including Georgia's Republican Secretary of State and Governor, insisted that there was no evidence of breaches or altered results. And of course, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State is Brad Raffensperger, who became a Republican Secretary of State by using a Democratic PR agency whose purpose is to find Democrats who they can call Republicans and then run for political office. That's who Brad Raffensperger is. Brad Raffensperger signed the consent decree with Stacey Abrams, changing, for all intents and purposes, Georgia election law outside of the purview of the legislature, thus making those policies unconstitutional and illegitimate. But hey, who cares, right? They shuffled the whole thing through. The Georgia legislature certified Georgia's results and Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, refused to call a special session and have the legislature look at that certification. And one wonders how much the killing of his daughter's boyfriend, Harrison Deal, in an explosion while he was driving had to do with Brian Kemp refusing to call the special session. The fact that they are Republicans means absolutely nothing unless you are a child brain that thinks that Democrats and Republicans are actually somehow in competition when it comes to anything important. But that doesn't stop the Washington Post from using their both sides argument. Both sides understand that there was absolutely no fraud in Georgia. Don't you see? Republicans agree. They disagree with Donald Trump and Trump supporters. They are telling the truth. These are the good Republicans. There are nine flaws affecting versions of the machine called the Dominion Voting Systems Democracy Suite ImageCast X. According to a copy of an advisory prepared by CISA and obtained by The Washington Post. ImageCast X allows voters to mark their candidate choices on a touchscreen and then produce a paper record, as was the case in Georgia. It can also be used as a paperless electronic voting machine. Paperless, you say? Hmm. The flaws, many of which are highly technical. See, you can't understand them. And which mostly stem from machine design as opposed to coding errors generally require an attacker to have physical access to the devices or other equipment used to manage the election, CISA said. Okay, so most of the vulnerabilities and flaws are from the machine design, not coding errors, but they didn't rule out coding errors. And you have to have physical access. They're trying to make you believe that these machines cannot be hacked or accessed in any sort of outside cyber attack. And the idea here is to make the child brains think, well, only good faith election workers had access to these machines and they all did their jobs properly. So nothing could have happened. The truth is that bad actors had physical access to these machines virtually the entire time. And that has been proven again and again since that election as Dominion has come in to 
erase the hard drives, the systems of their evidence and install what they call the trusted build. There has never been a point where people are saying the only access could be through internet based hacking and manipulation, although that's possible too. So they're trying to knock down one of the claims, which is the one that kind of just floats among the public understanding. And they're ignoring the other claim, which is also completely true. All they care about is providing their readers with a basis for continuing to say that didn't happen. We have no evidence that these vulnerabilities have been exploited and no evidence that they have affected any election results, said Brandon Wales, CISA's executive director, in a statement to the Post. Of note, state standard election security procedures would detect exploitation of these vulnerabilities and in many cases would prevent attempts entirely. This makes it very unlikely that these vulnerabilities could affect an election. So what do we have? No evidence, no evidence, policies in place that make this very unlikely. Of course, there is evidence. There is a mountain of evidence. There is overwhelming evidence that what the CISA director is saying is simply untrue. And if you'd like to look at some of that evidence yourself, you can check out the lawsuits filed in various states. These are the lawsuits from Alan Dershowitz and Kurt Olson, who are representing Mike Lindell in his efforts. He has plaintiffs that are coming on board in different states in Arizona. It's Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham bringing that lawsuit, the preliminary injunction against the use of machines in Arizona. The evidence is in there. It is extensive. It is irrefutable. It is also true that the policies put in place in these states are not followed. And the certifications of these machines for use are invalid because of that. Again, these machines do not exist out of necessity. These machines are not needed. People can fill out a vote, a ballot by hand, turn that ballot in, and have that ballot counted by hand in an observable fashion because the number one priority should be to make sure that citizens' votes are accurately represented and that people who are not legally allowed to vote do not vote. We do not need to make use of technology to make the process, quote unquote, more efficient if it means sacrificing the integrity of our elections. And that is exactly what it means. It also is not more efficient to continuously provide results from the machines that no one has any reason to trust. It is not a mark of efficiency that we are still talking about all of this. What, 19 months after the election at this point? The machines only exist for their vulnerabilities. The machines exist to create an exploitable system so that the uniparty power structure will remain in place. Our representatives are not elected. They are selected. They are chosen. And we can expect to continually achieve the same outcomes until we understand what this is and actually confront it. CISA conducted its review in response to a report by two researchers prepared as part of a long-running litigation over the security of Georgia's voting system. The lead researcher, University of Michigan computer scientist J. Alex Halderman, served as an expert for plaintiffs who filed the case in 2017. The plaintiffs, a group of voters and voting security activists, argued that the paperless touchscreen machines Georgia was then using, which were made by a different company, were so lacking in security that they violated voters' civil rights. Georgia agreed to acquire a new system and in 2019 bought Dominion ImageCast X ballot marking devices, which were first used in 2020. The plaintiffs now argue that this replacement system is still too vulnerable to manipulation and that Georgia should adopt a system of hand-marked paper ballots that can be scanned and tabulated by machine. And that, too, is ridiculous. 
That is not the goal. We don't need tabulation and scanning machines either. CISA's disclosure, however, is unlikely to settle the matter. The lawsuit over machine security is about to enter its sixth year, and unfounded claims of fraud continue to animate Republican voters and elected officials. The advisory comes as a report released Friday by the MITRE Corporation, a federally funded research and development center, reached similar conclusions to those of CISA, according to the office of the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. The report, which was commissioned by Dominion, was not released publicly. So Dominion commissioned their own report on their equipment and did not release it publicly. But Brad Raffensperger says they have reached similar conclusions. But wait a second, who paid for that report? Oh, a federally funded research and development center. That's the MITRE Corporation. So they issued the report with federal funding And they were the group commissioned by Dominion. So Dominion chose who would write the report and they chose a federally funded agency. Both the CISA and MITRE reports show what reasonable people already know. If bad actors are given full and unfettered access to any system, they can manipulate that system, said Gabriel Sterling, a top aide to Raffensperger in a statement. That is why procedural, operational and legal election integrity measures are crucial. So Gabe Sterling, the little twit who pretends to be Republican and has essentially just participated in the uniparty cover-up of election fraud in Georgia, wants to remind everybody how important election integrity measures are and procedural measures and operational measures. It's very important to have all those things in place. Otherwise, bad actors could come in and exploit the system. And according to Gabriel Sterling and Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp, and Dominion and the Washington Post and all other global communists, all of those integrity measures are more than enough to get the job done and we don't have any bad actors. So you see, there are ways that this system can be exploited. Thank goodness we have only good people working in elections and we have set up these rules ourselves that make it so nothing bad can happen, you know, as long as we have just good actors everywhere. I mean, we don't have good actors everywhere. There are actually a lot of bad faith actors. In fact, it's only bad faith actors. And we know that because Stacey Abrams hired them. But thank goodness that's not actually true. Or, you know, this entire trust system that Gabriel Sterling describes might not hold up. Sterling said that like CISA, MITRE found that existing procedural safeguards observed by election offices make it extremely unlikely for any bad actor to actually exploit the vulnerabilities Halderman found. But Halderman, who has said publicly that he has no evidence that the machine's flaws were exploited, of course, that's not what he was there to study, told the Post that the vulnerabilities were serious and could be used by an attacker. The most significant, he said, is a coding flaw that allows an attacker who gains access to a jurisdiction's central election computers to spread malware to the image cast X machines. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. And that has been proven in various cases around the country, including the DiPerno case in Michigan. The software was manipulated to switch votes and achieve a certain outcome based on an algorithm in the machines. It's also funny how they just told us that Halderman found the biggest exploit was a coding error. And a few paragraphs ago, they told us that the flaws were mostly in the system design and not coding errors. So there were nine flaws At least one of them was a coding error, and that was the most significant flaw. But they told us the flaws are mostly system design flaws and not coding errors. Journalism, huh? Elite outlet journalism. The Washington Post. Democracy dies in darkness. Voting systems rely on multiple layers of defense, including physical and electronic safeguards, he said. 
These vulnerabilities show that unfortunately, the electronic safeguards are not as secure as they need to be. And again, remember the claims of those telling the big lie that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. They have not just simply said that there were no problems this entire time, that problems could arise. Problems are certainly possible, but there weren't any, right? That would be a secure, confident statement if they could actually make it. And of course they can't. And they refuse to allow anyone to look. So there's no basis for believing that argument in the first place. Instead, they have tried to give us the idea that it is impossible to mess with these machines. There is no justification for even worrying about the voting machines. That's what we've been told now for 19 months while these machines have remained in place in our elections and are clearly and obviously affecting outcomes in primary elections. And again, this is just a part of the picture. The machines do what the machines do. The ballot trafficking operations, the ballot harvesting, the fake ballots, the actual ballot fraud, all of that stuff backfills the result the machine is required to spit out. It justifies the result of the machine. And that is also why they spin so many ridiculous narratives in the media, because they want to give people reasons to believe that the outcomes the machines produce are in fact legitimate, even though they are absolutely not. And it's obvious because they follow algorithms. The algorithms exist county by county across a state that can't happen by accident. The disclosures follow Tuesday's primary elections in Georgia, which saw record turnout for a midterm primary. No evidence of tampering was found. And let's consider what they mean when they say no evidence of tampering was found. So they wrote this on Saturday. The primary was on Tuesday. That was four days to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, four days. And that's enough for the Washington Post to say that no evidence was found. Past tense. They've already looked for evidence. Turns out there isn't any. That's what the Washington Post is saying. But again, we have to understand that to them, evidence is a subjective term. And any evidence brought up will be subjected to their doubt campaign for as long as it takes. But there is actually evidence of tampering because the results achieved were impossible, just like they were in 2020. Joe Biden did not get 81 million real legal American votes. That is not possible. The results achieved as reported, as we are told they were achieved, are also impossible. Mathematicians have studied how the results came in. You might remember the data scientist from UCLA, the mathematician, who said the chances of the vote being achieved the way it's reported, the way it came in, the chances of that actually happening are one in a quadrillion. And that's enough to say it didn't happen. And if it didn't happen, if it couldn't have happened, if the result achieved is impossible, that in itself is evidence of tampering. It's like looking at a body that was beaten to death and saying there's no evidence of foul play because you haven't actually caught the murderer or found the murder weapon and you don't have it on video. But the truth is, by their subjective standards of evidence, having the murder weapon, the murderer and the crime on video still would not be evidence of foul play to them. In the 2020 presidential election, officials carried out a hand recount of the entire state, reading the candidate names off the ballots and not just rescanning them. And of course, that message is directly for the child brains in their audience. They're going to see that, assume that everything was double and triple checked and everything is fine. Of course, that review of that election was also beset with issues on video. And they don't care. Election security experts have raised concerns about insider threats from election officials who subscribe to conspiracy theories about voting machines. T 
Tina Peters, the clerk in Mesa County, Colorado, was indicted in March on charges stemming from her efforts to copy Dominion hard drives. Peters said she has done nothing wrong. Georgia officials are investigating an allegation that machines in Coffee County were accessed by people seeking evidence of fraud. Now, they describe Tina Peters as a criminal here. Tina Peters had a forensic image of the Dominion voting system drives made before they performed the trusted build and after the trusted build. And it shows the wiping of the evidence. That is why they are going after Tina Peters. Is Washington Post going to tell you the truth about that? Of course not. They are simply trying to provide a basis for all of their readers to deny the factual reality. Election experts say that measures implemented over the years make it extremely unlikely that a malicious insider could carry off a hack that alters votes to throw an election. In many jurisdictions, two people are present when handling voting and tabulating equipment. Maria Benson, a spokesman for the National Association of Secretaries of State, told The Post. Now, you might remember the National Association of Secretaries of State was involved in the email chain with the Joe Biden campaign's PR company, SKD Knickerbocker, and the social media companies to get people censored by the social media companies for saying the no-no things about elections. That was revealed in a FOIA from Judicial Watch, and it featured my face in that FOIA because the California Secretary of State was asking that the post be taken down because I was talking about how California had switched my registration to the permanent mail-in ballot list without my permission. And you'll be happy to know that the National Association of Secretaries of State has another initiative for 22 that they call their Trusted Info Initiative. So that should help you sleep well at night. But their spokeswoman says there's no problem because there's always two people monitoring everything at the same time. And so maybe it's possible to have one bad actor, but two? No way. That could never happen. If there were multiple bad actors in, a, in an election center, people would know it. I mean, you have poll watchers, right? And sure, some bad actors inside of certain election centers made it impossible for poll watchers to do their job. In fact, they taped cardboard pizza boxes to the windows so nobody could see. But surely, surely two bad actors could never coordinate to steal the election, especially not if we have records of them being paid to do exactly that. We have a check and balance system in place so nothing could go wrong. Trust us. We have trusted info. <laughs> we have an entire initiative about trusted info. Therefore, if two people are watching, they couldn't possibly be bad actors. So it doesn't matter if the systems are easily exploitable in a variety of ways two people election officials also have implemented extensive security measures she said including controlling physical access to election related systems ensuring they have adequate backups and testing the accuracy of systems and processes before and after each election now anybody who studied any of this could tell you how each and every one of those elements fails and fails on purpose because the system is designed to allow for those failures. The system is created for the loopholes. And when loopholes are found and people get upset about the loopholes, they will replace the loophole with another loophole. And we'll get to that in just a second. But to finish off this article, Dominion was aware of the vulnerabilities and told CISA that its systems can be updated to address them. So they can't wait to get their trusted build all around the country. Now, why is all of this coming out now? Why did the Washington Post report that Dominion systems are vulnerable? Why did CNN do it? Well, they're getting out in front of the story. They're presetting a narrative. They are changing the central narrative. They are reinterpreting what they have already told their audience because they need their audience to believe something else now. And if they believe the new thing, then they will protect the new thing. They'll protect the new ground. 
And even though the new thing overwrites the old thing and is incompatible with the old thing, they know their audience will continue to believe both and use both in whatever situation each one is called for. And they say that all of this is okay as they push responsibility higher up in the chain and centralize responsibility and accountability as they do so. They'll say only your trusted elected representatives are going to be able to handle this stuff. Of course, those same trusted elected officials are sitting in their offices because of illegitimate elections. They're actually the ones overseeing the illegal election fraud operations in all of these states. And they came through the George Soros program to be secretaries of state in the first place. Look at Jenna Griswold in Colorado. Look at Jocelyn Benson in Michigan. Look at Kathy Bookvar in Pennsylvania, who left her job immediately after the 2020 election. We are being told that the systems are vulnerable to all sorts of exploits but just trust all the officials who have been denying that the systems have exploits for the last 19 months. But let's return to the construction of loopholes and what these loopholes represent. We always hear about loopholes in the law, particularly when it comes to taxes, right? Some corporation has exploited a loophole. We're going to close the tax loophole. Then our revenues will go up and blah, blah, blah. The loopholes were written to be exploited. Okay, sure. You can try to design a system, realize that you left loopholes and then try to close those loopholes. That's very responsible. And sure, mistakes happen. You can't obviously project for every possibility. There are loopholes in our finance and security laws. And people can attribute things like the 2008 financial crisis to the exploitation of loopholes. But let's talk about how these loopholes come to be. Michael Gableman, the special counsel investigating election fraud in the 2020 election in Wisconsin, was on the Lou Dobbs show this morning. And one of the things he mentioned, you know, he's going pretty consistently after the uh, Zuckerberg money that went through the Center for Tech and Civic Life and ended up influencing elections in Wisconsin and other states around the country, they were basically buying off election officials and bribing people, financially incentivizing them to achieve the desired outcome, which is putting Joe Biden and other Democrats illegitimately into office. And he was talking about the need to do away with private funding of elections, except it turns out that private funding of elections is not our only problem. Zuckerbucks are not our only problem. He talked about something he's now calling Biden bucks. Joe Biden had an executive order in March of this year that has allowed federal government money to replace the Mark Zuckerberg money in the elections. And this is part of that executive order to promote voting access. And you might remember that the way to promote voting access is to call everyone a racist. On this day in 1965, state troopers beat and tear gassed hundreds of peaceful protesters crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and they failed to mention that those were Democrats. The protesters were seeking justice and to ensure their right to vote would not be denied. At the head of the march were former Congressman John Lewis and Reverend Hosea Williams. As the troopers advanced with clubs raised, the group knelt in prayer. The images of protesters, bloody and bruised, flashing on television screens across the nation, spurred Congress to pass and President Johnson to sign into law the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Congressman Lewis's fight to protect and expand the vote did not end that day in Selma. He carried the mission to our nation's capital and remained a vigilant protector of our right to vote, knowing all too well the burdens born to guarantee it. Today, to mark the 56th anniversary of Selma with actions and not just words, President Biden will sign an executive order to promote voting access and allow all eligible Americans to participate in our democracy. This executive order will leverage the resources of the federal government to increase access to voter registration services and information about voting. As the president has said, democracy doesn't happen by accident. We have to defend, strengthen and renew it. 
free and fair elections that reflect the will of the American people must be protected and defended. Too many Americans face significant obstacles to exercising their fundamental right to vote. (laughs) That's incredible. For generations, black voters and other voters of color have faced discriminatory policies that suppress their vote. Voters of color are more likely to face long lines at the polls and are disproportionately burdened by voter identification laws and limited opportunities to vote by mail. Native Americans likewise face limited opportunities to vote by mail and frequently lack sufficient polling places and voter registration opportunities near their homes. Limited access to language assistance is an obstacle for many voters. People with disabilities face longstanding barriers in exercising their right to vote, especially when it comes to legally required accommodations to vote privately and independently. Members of our military serving overseas, as well as other American citizens living abroad, also face unnecessary challenges to exercising their right to vote. Now, in 2020, we are told there were about 156 million votes in that presidential election. Donald Trump received 74, 75 million. Joe Biden received 81 million. Very real, very legal, very American votes around 156 million. There was another million or so for third party candidates, blah, blah, blah. In 2016, Hillary Clinton got about 66 million. Trump got about 63 million. We are told, right? According to the official results. And there was about another million for third party. So we have about 130 million in 2016, 156, 157 million in 2020. The electorate increased by 20% during a pandemic, and we're told that people have a hard time accessing the polls. And of course, it's always white people's fault, and it's everyone else who bears the brunt of the problem. But we know Trump's percentage among African Americans and Hispanic Americans increased. So where did the Democrats find 15 million extra votes? Did they have a white surge? And if it wasn't a white surge and they still went up 15 million with black and Hispanic Americans voting for Trump in larger numbers, where was the surge? Who accounted for that surge? And with a surge of that size, how are we to believe that there is some sort of problem with access? Today's executive order is an initial step in this administration's efforts to protect the right to vote and ensure all eligible citizens can freely participate in the electoral process. The president is committed to working with Congress to restore the Voting Rights Act and pass H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which includes bold reforms to make it more equitable and accessible for all Americans to exercise their fundamental right to vote. And of course, they are still pushing H.R. 1 and have been doing so for a year and a half now. That is a total federalization of all our elections in direct violation to the U.S. Constitution. And of course, they have not passed that yet, which is why Joe Biden is trying to accomplish the same things through his executive orders. So today's executive order will direct federal agencies to expand access to voter registration and election information. The executive order will direct the head of each federal agency to submit to the assistant to the president for domestic policy, a strategic plan outlining ways their agency can promote voter registration and participation within 200 days. These strategic plans could include actions such as leveraging agencies, existing websites and social media to provide information about how to register to vote, distributing voter registration and vote by mail ballot applications in the course of regular services, considering whether any identity documents issued by the agency can be issued in a form that satisfies state voter identification laws. And the chief information officer of the United States will coordinate across federal agencies to improve or modernize federal websites and digital services that provide election and voting information to the American people, including ensuring that federal websites are accessible to individuals with disabilities and people with limited English proficiency. So all federal agencies are supposed to direct their own 
agency operations to figure out how to increase voter registration and participation. Now, why would the Department of Energy or the Department of Transportation or the Department of Defense or any other number of federal agencies have any involvement in this? They are trying to figure out what they can do in each one of their agencies to get around federal law. It's kind of the way that Joe Biden tried to enact a nationwide vaccine mandate by using OSHA regulations. The courts eventually found that that was unconstitutional. It was unconstitutional from the day he issued it, and they knew it when they issued it. But they nonetheless forced people all across the country out of their jobs and forced other people to join the medical experiment and accept being injected with an experimental gene therapy that kills and maims people. They don't care about the law. They care about achieving their desired outcomes and then presenting the illusion of legality and legitimacy. So now we're going to have the federal bureaucracy participating in leveraging their own websites and social media to point people toward voter registration operations likely run by nonpartisan NGOs. They're going to assist in the distribution of voter registration applications and vote by mail applications in the course of their regular services. Again, which regular services? They don't have departments for this built out. So what they're going to do is redirect funding to more NGOs. It won't be Zuckerberg sending Zuckerberg's money. It'll be the illegitimate administration sending your money, paying off the same NGOs to achieve the same results. And then they're going to consider whether any agency specific identification could fulfill the voter ID requirements of individual states so that they can just create new forms of ID and have those forms of ID count as voter ID. Because we all know that it's impossible for black and brown people to get legal forms of ID to go to the DMV to get driver's licenses. We live in the false reality of communist nonsense where that's true. And let's go through some of the other priorities here. Direct federal agencies to assist states under the National Voter Registration Act. Under today's action, the head of each federal agency will evaluate where and how the federal agency provides services that directly engage with the public and to the greatest extent possible, formally notify states in which it provides services that it would agree to designation as a voter registration agency. If requested by a state to be designated as a voter registration agency, the federal agency shall, to the greatest extent possible, agree to such designation. They're going to improve and modernize vote.gov. They're going to increase federal employees' access to voting. And we are supposed to imagine that there are federal employees that somehow don't have access to voting. They want to analyze barriers to voting for people with disabilities, as if that is a huge problem. They want to increase voting access for active duty military and other overseas voters. And that sounds like they are ready to exploit that system as well, even though they've already been exploiting it. Provide voting access and education to citizens in federal custody. And that's great. More federal felons and establish a Native American voting rights steering group. So the point here is there was one loophole and it wasn't really a loophole. It was just something that they did and then said they were allowed to do and then went forward with it. And because we have to count all votes and there's nothing we can do about election fraud and it's all the big lie, we have to let them do it. And so in order to look like that is being ended by our very responsible, illegitimate politicians in office, we have seen election integrity measures pursued, pushed, and in some places passed around the country. And one of the things 
that they attempt to do is eliminate private funding from our elections. A noble goal in the wake of what Mark Zuckerberg did. But it's not a good thing to take the private funding and instead just shift all of the same functions and the funding of the same exact system to the federal government. And unless we're going to imagine that the motivations of the fake administration are unknown to the Republican politicians around the country saying that they're cutting off federal funding for elections, then we should see what they've done as replacing one loophole with another. The original system was designed in a way that vulnerabilities and exploits existed, and there is an effort to close some of those loopholes and vulnerabilities and exploits and simply replace them with other loopholes, vulnerabilities, and exploits. And do not be surprised when you see rhinos campaigning on their election integrity efforts this fall, even though all they have done is replaced one problem with another problem, because their goal is to keep the system in place where the uniparty selects who the politicians will be and puts them into power. And then those politicians protect the system. That is what they're doing. But of course, they can't come out and say that. They can't sell that to anybody. So what they're doing is reinterpreting their own actions and marketing those actions as if they are actually helping and as if they are actually stopping this problem. And all of that is to obscure what the real solution is. The real solution is to go to paper ballots that are verifiable and connected to the voter with one day of in-person voting Exceptions can be made for military and people who are actually confined to their homes or, you know, nursing facilities and to have those ballots counted by hand in the open video recording. We know how to make that process foolproof. Anything that does not head in that direction is a failure and a distraction only meant to obscure the fact that the election system as a whole is still entirely vulnerable. So we discussed the Washington Post and CNN's articles. And I want to talk a little bit more about the timing of those articles, because it wasn't just that they wanted to bury the story. They're also trying to head off the fact that the J. Alex Halderman report is going to be publicly released, and then people will be able to see for themselves all of the exploits of the Dominion voting systems. And the timing of that, to me, says that we might be seeing action down some other avenues, and I have, I think, good reason to believe that we will be. The Halderman stuff is directly relevant to the Lindell cases, as I mentioned. Public knowledge of problems in the election machines will actually help if the decision goes in our favor with these preliminary injunctions. And then in the background of that, we have Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote. They are presenting their evidence to a panel in Arizona this afternoon. And Greg Phillips was on Patel Patriots uh, live stream over the weekend. And they had a wonderful discussion that I suggest everyone watches. But Greg Phillips suggested that they have evidence that goes far beyond anything displayed in 2000 mules. He has said that it is 10 X 2000 mules. He said that there is some sort of drop coming within the next six weeks. We will have information divulged that changes the world's perception of how elections are run. And he could very well mean The evidence that shows this system is used and exploited in countries all across the world. And we all know that's true. Greg Phillips has been very active on Truth Social. If you are not on there yet, I suggest you sign up on Truth Social. So far, it's been great. The activity has increased. The conversations have increased. It is wonderful to know that People in various positions of influence are now able to hear from 
normal Americans who were formerly kicked off Twitter and did not have access, did not have any ability to share information they knew with people in positions of influence. So I suggest you get on there. I suggest you follow Greg Phillips. It's G-R-E-G-G Phillips. And keep an eye on all of that because there is a lot going on in the election fraud arena right now. And it is all trending toward public disclosure and public awareness. And again, the ultimate goal is the awakening. The awakening is the only thing that can actually fix all these problems. The period we are in right now is showing people from quote unquote, both sides that all of the institutions, the entire system is corrupt and sick and damaged and needs to be fixed. And while it's disappointing to be taught that lesson again and again and again, once you have already understood it, you cannot look at every one of these disappointments as somehow the end of the road or that everything is hopeless and pointless. It's not. Other people do not know about any of this stuff. People who are addicted to the central narrative have no idea about any of this. And so it has to continue to touch their lives until that awakening occurs, because that awakening is the only way to fix the entire system. We can't fix the entire system by getting Michael Sussman found guilty right now. Michael Sussman is still a criminal. He was still involved in the conception and execution of a coup against America. And no one's going to forget it. So allow the uniparty communists to have their little victory lap. But keep in mind that full public acknowledgement of all of it is on the way as we keep pushing forward. And that is how we get to where we ultimately need to be. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!